Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Backrow, UK rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialists, Giles Gale and Jan Navruzzi. We've had another busy week of central banks, I guess, namely what certainly for this podcast, the, the Fed and the Bank of England. Um, so let's start with the Fed, Jan. What were the key takeaways from, from this week's meeting? This, this week's meeting was really broken into two parts. We had a, a very dovish statement at the beginning and then a press conference from, uh, from the chair, which was on the complete other uh, end of the you know, spectrum and was very hawkish. So let me just start with the statement. The main difference there was uh, it was basically left unchanged with the addition of one, uh, one sentence that, uh, that pretty much said that going forward, the FOMC will consider the impacts of the tightening that's already been delivered, and they will also uh, consider the lags in, in monetary policy. We, we already knew that, but that was a very deliberate uh, insertion that means that maybe there's some dissents within the, within the committee that Powell wanted to kind of like satisfy, or maybe there's a coordination with global central banks to kind of like add a little bit more of a uh, a dovish undertone to it. Uh, we don't know the reason. The minutes will certainly be very interesting and maybe giving us a little bit more uh, around why that was put in there. Uh, of course, they always consider the impacts of, uh, of monetary policy tightening, and they, of course, know that monetary policy works with lags. Uh, but adding that there was a, like I said, very deliberate, and they 100% knew what the market impact would have been, which was an immediate uh, in a rally in stocks and, uh, and fixed income securities. So uh, that was the, the 2 p.m. release. Marcus took some time to digest it, but the overall expectation was that they're signaling a step down to 50 basis points in December uh, by slotting that in, kind of adding this uh, softer language into the statement. Uh, as the chair came to the, you know, as he got to the stage and started fielding questions, I believe the, the dynamic entirely shifted. Right? So he was... Uh, while he did say that they will consider the impact of hikes already delivered, uh, Powell's focus was very much so on, listen, don't focus on how fast we're going. Uh, keep in mind that we might have to go a little bit further. We might have to hike more than we, we signaled uh, at the September meeting. Uh, each quarterly meeting, the Fed releases their uh, so-called thought plots where uh, Fed members will present their forecasts alongside their expectation of interest rates for the next few years. And the peak for next year uh, was 4.6%, basically. Uh, now, Powell said that that rate is likely to go higher. Uh, we could see it going, for example, by another 25 basis points. But given that there could be some disagreements within the board, maybe some, some of the more dovish members are focusing a little bit more on uh, macro potential risks or something, un unintended consequences of some sorts. So maybe we get a little bit of a wider dispersion in these thoughts, which uh, I don't want to put too much spin into the meeting. It was definitely, uh, you know, it, on net, it was more of a, it was certainly more hawkish than what we got from the rest of the central banks until now. Uh, but uh, that being said, they commit to slowing down to 50, and then they say, well, we might have a little bit more next year to come, but next year, no one knows what will, you know, we have a lot more certainty what's going to happen over the next few months and we don't know what would happen next year. So if anything, that's kind of kicking the can down the road and we might get them, we might not. Our in-house uh, forecast has been that they indeed would have slowed down to 15 December and hike 25 base points 
two more times in uh, in 2023, bringing the rate to 5%. But we just recalled a little bit, uh, we didn't see them committing to it at this meeting. Rather, we thought, why not wait for the CPI print next week and see how that comes and not lock yourself in a position? What if it accelerates and then you have to maintain the space, right? So, uh, so that was the one uh, surprising thing. But like I said, minutes will be minutes will be certainly interesting, and market has repriced terminal to about five point two percent as we're recording this, so uh, slightly above where we think uh, even the dots would signal. Of course, inflation could change a lot of that, and uh, we'll get more data until then too. But uh, yeah, it was on on the margin. It was I would say uh, a hawkish delivery by the by the chair, but. Uh, but like a, which was start off by a very uh, soft uh, statement. So kind of like one of our colleagues pointed out, uh, it felt like the Fed wanted to have the cake and eat it as well. And uh, sure looks like they did that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I guess the, the upcoming inflation data and, and jobs data is super important and we'll get onto that in a sec. But just to conclude what we learned from this week, that hasn't changed your base case call for the Fed then you're still looking for 50 at the moment obviously with the caveat that they are going to be data dependent and let's see what happens over the next couple of weeks is that correct yeah that's that's right we are looking for 50 but uh, they will have CPI next week they're going to have another round of CPI uh, set of CPI numbers as they're in their December blackout period before the meeting so markets will get data but they're not going to get uh, Fed member reaction. So, you know, prepare for a little bit more drama around there. Of course, we're all hoping for inflation to decelerate, but it certainly is not looking like a short thing. And uh, like, like I said, I think we think 50 is, uh, is going to be the move in December, but it's not a lock by any means. Okay, so let's, I guess, go a little bit more into detail on that inflation print then. What, what are you expecting, at least for, for the next print? And, and how much of an upside surprise does that need to be or, or downside surprise even does that need to be to materially kind of alter the trajectory for the fed do you think beyond that 50 basis points in either direction yeah uh, and us and most forecasts have uh, are now showing a little bit of a softer uh, inflation expectation compared compared to the previous month uh particularly like on the core side and that really comes down to things like the data we have around used car prices indicate that there's going to be some uh, some weakening there. We also uh, know that the way the, for example, medical uh, medical component of uh, within CPI is constructed, it kind of has like an annual term that's uh, derived from the retained earnings of, of insurers. And that's almost, uh, that resets basically once a year. October is going to be the next reset. So this month's number and, uh, and, and that will lead to a little bit of a drag in, in, uh, in inflation as well. Both of those things could uh, kind of led us to, to our forecast of about 0.5 on core, uh, 0.6 on headline. So more or less in line with market and more importantly, what the Fed would, uh, you know, what the Fed would need to change their direction. I think 50 basis points for December uh, would be consistent with market expectation for inflation, which is 0.5 on core, but if we see acceleration again, I think 75 comes back really, really quickly into into the debate. And stepping down to 25 just feels um, I don't, not not really this meeting's business. There's no point in saying that you're going to hike rates for uh, longer and kind of get to a higher terminal rate and then step down to 25 base points. You're simply not going to do it in that case. So uh, and and some of these, you know, we've talked about how. Uh, 
things like shelter, like the OER, rent, are causing, are a little bit lagged and are causing inflation to remain high. But even if you exclude them, uh, core services across the board are running about that pace at like 0 0.6, 0 0.7. So it's not just rent that's doing this. It's uh, There's a broad-based uh, inflation of services, and it's going to be really hard to see that coming back down to to target anytime soon or accelerate, I'm sorry, decelerate fast enough for the Fed to say, all right, you know, we're good. Um, maybe unemployment will be the next thing that kind of causes them to reevaluate what they should be doing, if they should be slowing down, pausing, reevaluating uh, what the hikes so far have done. So let's see, let's say one month you get negative $200,000, uh, negative 200,000 jobs, right? That could be something that changes the mindset of people because it's easier to make these hawker statements while unemployment drifts lower, uh, growth state still remains uh, firm and, and inflation is high. So uh, I think there's something to look out for, but base case, what the market gets, I think pushes the Fed down to, down to only 50 basis points. But it wasn't just the Fed this week. We also had the BOE today. So uh, do you want to give us a recap? How does that leave your rates for you? Yeah, I think, well, there was a bit of, bit less, uh, I suppose, divergence between what the BOE said in their statement and then what they said in their presser. They seemed a little bit more consistent, let's say, than, than Powell did yesterday. Um, I think overall you would probably uh, classify this as a fairly dovish meeting. Um, I mean, on the surface, you know, it was a 75 basis point hike, um, which is obviously the largest hike that, that the Bank of England have done for some time, but very much in line with market expectations. The vote was 7-2 as expected, but a little bit more of a dovish skew on that vote in that one of those two dissenters was actually a vote for 25. So it was one vote for 25, one for 50 uh, and seven for, for 75. Um, and I suppose the, the two most dovish elements that they delivered then alongside what the market was broadly expecting when it came to the rate hikes was that, A, there was a collective pushback on market pricing of bank rate expectations. Now, this isn't necessarily new because obviously we know that broadband um, sort of explicitly pushed back against market pricing just a couple of weeks ago. But to have it in the statement seems as though it's a view that um, the committee has sort of unanimously signed up to. Now, that view is kind of caveated by the fact that um, my interpretation here is that they're talking about bank rate that was priced into their forecasts and their projections, which is a little bit different to bank rate expectations today. Um, you know, they were talking about peak bank rate at 5.2. And we've already had a lot of that repricing. We're now at bank rate expectations peaking at around 4.6, 4.7 in the UK. So I don't think that they were necessarily pushing back significantly on where we are today, but where we were, say, uh, two weeks ago, which, you know, I think was fairly consensus that that, that seemed pretty toppy. Um, and the other dovish element um, was to do with the projections. So this was one of the quarterly monetary policy reports where we get their updated growth and inflation projections over a two to three year horizon. Um, and the bank projections as they did in August, but but even you know re further revised down since the August um, update, they saw inflation well below their target on a three-year horizon. And that's in both a constant rate and the market 
uh, rate projection. So what they do is they keep rates constant at 3% and say this is what inflation would be. And then they use market rate expectations and say this is what inflation would be. But nonetheless, in, in both of those scenarios, they were well below their 2% target on the three-year horizon. Uh, yet, on the other hand, they were still suggesting that, that rates needed to rise further um, just perhaps not as much as, as the market was pricing in. Now, since the August meeting, both the market and the Bank of England have kind of disregarded the forecast to a certain extent. And part of that is because um, both times that they've done their monetary policy report uh, projections, they haven't had the luxury of having kind of full visibility um, over the, the uh, fiscal uh, plans of the government. As we know, you know, the budget was supposed to be this week and that's now been delayed. So they can't make those projections or make policy based on unannounced government policy. Um, so clearly there's some measures that, that we're all expecting to be announced that, that weren't included um which may help to you know we're expecting those to be kind of spending cuts and tax hikes rather than the fiscal stimulus that we were expecting just a couple of weeks ago so that may help to kind of counteract um some of the rhetoric that that we see today but but nonetheless that's probably a lot of that kind of tightening of fiscal policy is over a longer term uh, time horizon than, than the Bank of England's projections themselves, and certainly um, longer than the next kind of six to 12 months, which I think is what, what they're very much focused on. Um, so a lot of moving parts, but overall a fairly dovish meeting, um, but, but probably not one that was dovish enough for the market, given that they're still telling us that, that bank rates still needs to rise. Um, quite probably, you know, at least another 100 basis points higher than here, we think. And I think given just the kind of rhetoric in the last 10 days of with, you know, global central banks kind of pivoting, if you like, although as we've discussed on this podcast before, I think pivot's probably not the right word, but I think that there was probably quite a high bar for the Bank of England to outdove the market. Um, and that explains the, the kind of uh, higher yields and, and steepening curve that, that we were seeing as, as Bailey was talking. Um, and just to round off that, that discussion, it hasn't changed our base case. We were already a bit more dovish than the market in terms of where we saw kind of peak rates in this cycle. Um, so we haven't changed our base case of, of seeing another 75 basis points in December, uh, 50 basis points in February, uh, and that brings the peak to 4.25. I think that hike in December, there's probably downside risks to that. So it's a risks to 50 basis points. Um, but it's not obvious to me that if they felt justified in stepping up rates from 50 to 75, that any of those factors that would have justified the step up in rates uh, will have reversed sufficiently to justify a, a step down again uh, back to 50 in, in December. So for now, we stick with our base case, another 75, another 50 uh, and terminal rates at 4.25 by February. All right, that, that makes sense. And I have another question for you. And uh, for people who are not really you know, into the nitty gritty of, I guess, financial plumbing, this uh, understandably comes off as a very, well, how could it be? But there is a collateral shortage going on in the UK, Europe, and somewhat in the US. And you know, of course, with all the government issuance, you would think that wouldn't be the case, but it just happens to be so. So has the BOE done anything around uh, the shortage in the UK or anything you know, forward looking that you can share with us today? I feel like I'm stealing Giles's hat on the podcast now. This is usually his uh, kind of thing he'd like to discuss. But yeah, I, I mean, we, we have discussed this on the podcast. So 
through the European lens in the last couple of weeks, but there's been a similar dynamic in, in the UK that's sort of been exacerbated by, um, you know, the stress that we saw at the long end of the curve a couple of weeks ago related to, um, you know, LDI and, and the fact that they've then sold a lot of assets and, and have high cash balances, which they've been putting to work. Um, so there is this collateral scarcity in the UK as well. Um, and that is something that has been causing stress in the markets in the last couple of days. It's something that we've been talking about a lot in the last couple of days. And, and there was some speculation going into the meeting that the Bank of England may well be may well be thinking about doing something that might alleviate some of this pressure. Uh, now, you mentioned, Jan, that there's a lot of supply coming on board. And obviously, you have QT as well in the UK that you would think should help to alleviate some of this collateral scarcity. But actually, in the UK, um, the supply that we have, particularly between now and the end of the year, is really concentrated in the belly of the curve. Um, and QT, as we know, although it's concentrated at the front end in that they're not selling the very long end bucket, they also aren't selling the naught to three years. Um, they're letting that roll off naturally. And, and that's where the kind of um, stress is, is really being felt in that, that very front end of the market. No one asked about this in the press conference, but I thought it was quite interesting that when asked only really one question about QT at the very end of the press conference, uh, Bailey and Ramsden used the opportunity, although the question was totally irrelevant to the way that they answered it, they used the opportunity to kind of highlight the fact that they're obviously monitoring the the um, funding, the stress in the funding markets that they're seeing. And the tone of their response to me, and perhaps I was kind of reading into it a little bit too much, but but suggested that there was this was something that they were thinking about what else that they, they could be doing. Uh, and what else might that look like? Well, simply, I think it could be that they just actually choose to sell those bonds in, in the very front end bucket. So perhaps they, you know, extend the, the maturity of that front end bucket to just be one to seven year perhaps and, and start to sell sell some of those very shorter dated bonds back to the market. Um, you know, this week was also quite important by the fact that we had the first QT kind of active sales auction. And if anything, I think that was characterized by the strong demand that we saw for the very shortest bonds, you know, those bonds that are on the kind of cusp of the three-year sector. And so that's very indicative, I think, of, of the strong demand and, and probably the success that the Bank of England would have if they did just set up some, some shorter auctions. But perhaps that's a bit of a longer term solution for, for, for now and, and maybe something that we might be talking about closer to, to the December meeting and, and the year end turn. Uh, so with that, uh, perhaps we can move on uh, to Europe. Um, maybe not quite as busy given that the ECB was last week, but we have had plenty of ECB speakers this week, which we will get onto. But perhaps first of all, we can just talk about, you know, everything Giles that's happened in the US uh, and the UK this week. What, what does that mean for the European curve? So the basic answer is that we've been dragged higher uh, along with everyone else with sort of something like a 65% pass through, which I think more or less makes sense. Um, you know, clearly at lower rates, volatility should be a little bit lower. But at the same time, you know, something I'm struck by is that we are approximately the same distance from where we are now in front end rates to where markets seem to think that the, the terminal rate is. Um, of course, they expect to get there a little bit faster in the Anglo-Saxon economies. Okay, so you know, that also contributes to, uh, to, to higher volatility there. But overall, uh, now I think that the European markets have broadly done what you would have expected. And you know, one, one thing maybe to just uh, highlight about the dynamics is we seem to have moved to you know, a broadly sort of parallel uh, dominant 
dynamic at the moment, which um, you know, suggests, yeah, there's a strong endowment, but we are being dragged along by, um, by the market. I think it would be a bit remiss of us to not talk about the ECB this week, particularly today. We're recording this on Thursday when there's been so many ECB speakers on the on the docket. Uh, what have we learned from everything that they've said, I suppose, since the meeting last week? OK, I mean, not not a great deal, I would say. Um, I think that the main speaker today um, and actually... Significant as well because we haven't really heard a great deal from the dubs, um, and particularly not speaking dovishly in the in, in the last few weeks. But today we had uh, Panetta, who was who, who opened a conference on money markets, and you know, Panetta he's he, he's pretty pivoty, you know, he's pretty pretty dovish. Um, you know, he was more or less pushing it from that side. Uh, you know, again, really pressing this notion that we you know, we need to start thinking about the lagged effect of what's already been done we need to make sure that we don't overcook it you know you don't want mm-hmm. to be where the bank of england seems to be saying in its projections that it's going to be where you're fighting deflation again <laughs> <year and laughs> half time. Now, that would be a pretty pretty disastrous outcome although you know he doesn't quite put it like that of course um so so yeah i would say broadly what you would expect from him one thing that i thought was a little bit interesting uh, was what he said about quantitative tightening, which is, so, so quantitative tightening is uh, going to be on the, it's going to be one of the key things for the, the December meeting, uh, where we, we're told that we will be expected to get a sort of statement of high level principles or something like that around, uh, about how they're going to move ahead with quantitative tightening next year. Well, he has kind of anticipated that by giving a view uh, I presume, uh, uh, you know, just trying to anchor the debate a little bit. Uh, what he was saying was that they want to wait for to, for the absorption of the impact of the TLTRO repayment, um, and then, you know, broadly after that, we'll be talking about a sort of capped runoff. Now, I thought that was interesting because that doesn't seem, in my mind, to push things back too far. Because if you're going to have TLTRO repayments basically in November, then we might have a decent sort of set no that, 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 that'll come through and settle down early next year I mean January February that should wash through okay so it could be a pretty early early start for QT then perhaps perfect uh, timing question. well perhaps <laughs> no, listen, <laughs> we, we always thought that it was a Q1 uh, a Q1 theme it seems like it's maybe been pushed back to Q2 but no, I think it's you know, sort of late Q1, early Q2, that sort of time frame. Okay. So in terms of things you're watching out for then, I guess, in the Euro area, is that, is that the key thing that you're watching over the next couple of weeks? More rhetoric around QT? What what else is going to be on your radar? Well, yeah, absolutely. I think the money markets are a, a super important one. So I told you it was your topic. <laughs> <laughs> always, always. No, but listen, they're fascinating. Um, TLTRO, TLTRO repayment, you know, we'll be building up uh, to that over the next three weeks. And you know, that will, uh, you know, that'll keep us busy, I, I dare say. We'll have, hopefully, a little bit more of a view from other ECB speakers about what they, how they feel about quantitative tightening, in addition to, uh, to, to Mr. Panetta. Uh, then, of course, I guess we're looking at how supplies being taken down, because there will be yeah, obviously a significant amount more we're still in early November but at the same mm-hmm. time liquidity is um, is deteriorating um, 
still and 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 it will only continue to deteriorate presumably into december so i think that just watching how all of that progresses is going to be important um you know, big thematic things not so much i mean obviously we're watching the data we always are but um mm -hmm. you know, in at, at this point what are we looking at i mean inflation wages in particular um that we will be watching how that develops in in germany into the slowdown but given the strong cost pressures that we've had so far. Uh, so there are some important um, uh, negotiations, which is still ongoing there. Uh, we may get some information around that. The German data, um, labor market data actually this week kind of lost in the avalanche of other things that was going on. It was actually better than, uh, than expected. So, so, so maybe a small indication that you know, that's still something which, um, which could surprise us on the upside for inflation expectations. Um, there's SGP reform, that, that is Stability and Growth Pact uh, so, sort of review, that needs to come out at some point, and so that will also help to frame the debate about you know, where we're going with supply, um, you know, fiscal situations and so on, you know, in, into next year and beyond. Mm -hmm. And maybe just the final point to make about all of that is that um, quantitative e easing has still been actually pretty present in Europe, because the ECB has been, um, it, it seems to have shifted uh, some of its weight of reinvestment from earlier this year into to later this year, but that's going to go away again next year. So you know, I think that that taken together with the possibility of quantitative tightening and all the supply that you know, we mm -hmm. think is going to be coming and hitting us next year. And I think that that will keep my markets focused on the core view, which is still bearish. All of that sounds like an answer from someone who's been thinking very carefully about the themes for the year ahead. <laughs> um, so a lot to watch over the next- <laughs> Not carefully of... enough, Imogen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway. well, let, let's week. get back to it then. <laughs> We've got a deadline looming, which I'm sure our uh, listeners will be happy to hear about. So uh, let's leave it there this week. And I'm excited to catch up on all of those things in the weeks to come. Uh, thank you both for joining me. And just a reminder to our listeners, that if you liked today's episode, please don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available thanks see you next week <laughs>